KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Coronavirus Pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Carol McKenzie. Scientists are in a mad race to find a cure and a vaccine for COVID-19. Researchers at PennVet are trying to find out if dogs could help them win that race. Dr. Cindy Otto is a professor of working dog sciences. She's also the executive director of the PennVet Working Dog Center, which she established in 2012. Dr. Otto, I want to get to your scent detection study in just a second. But first, if you could give us an idea um, of what you do at the Working Dog Center. What is your mission there? So the Working Dog Center is a research and development and training center for detection dogs. We opened in 2012, um, and we have been exploring the science and the health and the behavior and everything that we can do to help detection dogs do their jobs better and, and help save lives. Why do they smell so much better than humans? So I think that the dog's nose is really set up um, on many levels to perform like a precise machine. The the anatomy, so the way it's built, um, is just really structured so that it delivers uh, these odor molecules to the areas in their nose that then allows them to process. Even the way they breathe, the way the air moves in, it allows those odor molecules, again, to be delivered while they're still breathing. Um, And it also allows the, the air going out not to disrupt that flow. In the area where they have all of these receptors uh, for odor, they have so many more receptors. Just the the density of the receptors. So just on a you know per square centimeter, um, they have more. They have this incredible honeycomb structure that allows lots and lots of area for interaction with those odor molecules. They have more genes for the um, the sense uh, receptors. And then in their brain, they have a bigger part of their brain, the olfactory bulb, um, that processes this information. And then for me, the, the, the real golden part about why dogs are so great is because of their connection with humans. And so we can work so well together um, and they can communicate that information back to us. I had a dog trainer explain it to me once. For instance, like when you look out at the park, everything you see, like that's how a dog smells. They take in all of that sensory stuff. Uh, absolutely. I like to say that they, they smell in color. I uh, equate it to where's Waldo. You know, they can find <laughs> Waldo in that crazy, that crazy puzzle. But yeah, absolutely. That's, that's kind of my perception of, of how they, they experience the world. So then let's talk about this COVID-19 scent detection study. What are you trying to figure out here? Well, we have a couple of questions that we want to a- uh, answer. And, and the first one is, is there a unique odor associated with a COVID-19 infection that dogs can detect? So that's absolutely the, the first step. And if that's the case, that opens two paths. The, the one path is that it, it tells our colleagues that are doing the chemistry and the electronic sensing that this is definitely a way to go to help develop new sensing um, tests. But it also then gives us that momentum to go forward and see how we might be able to use the dogs in the environment in which those dogs are going to help us detect either samples or patients or, you know, potentially even the environment um, that is contaminated with COVID-19. 
And what have you found out? Does COVID-19 have a unique odor? The jury is still out because we're just about to um, launch the, the part where we have our, our samples from patients. So we're really excited. We're hoping that this week is going to be the week where we, we introduce the samples to the dogs. Um, right now, we have the dogs. They're working. They had to learn the, the, the process. So they had to actually learn the, the technical aspects of how to do this type of searching because it, it all happens in a in basically a laboratory environment. Um, so we're eliminating as much other uh, stimulus distraction and we're, we're asking these dogs to go into a room and search around this, this wheel or carousel and sniff each of these ports that has a sample um, and then identify if there's a sample there associated with COVID-19 or if there's no samples at all that have, that are positive. And so that's that process the dogs have been training on now for the last three weeks um, and they're doing great. And so we're very excited that we'll be introducing the samples um, hopefully this week, but if not this week, then then next week for sure. So I, help, help me out with this for just a minute. So you, I saw the picture of the dog with a carousel and what I read on your PenVet site you have taken some types of samples from the lab and you are using those to see if the dogs can pick them out. Do I have that right? At this so stage? we will be. Yeah. Okay. So, well, so the dogs are training right now on a, on a synthetic odor and that's just a training odor. So that doesn't have anything to do with COVID-19. It has everything to do with learning the process. So it's basically doing the foundational drills before you start to play football. You know, you have to you have to learn the game before you actually start your game. And so we will be taking patient samples. Um, so we're working with um, Dr. Ian Frank at the uh, Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Audrey John at Children's Hospital, and um, uh, Dr. Dan Rader in the uh, COVID uh, Biobank, and um, and that is also at Penn. And we'll be obtaining obtaining biological samples. So basically, we're looking at urine samples. Uh, we're hoping to look at saliva and breath samples as well. Um, and we're going to tell if there's an odor that is basically excreted in these samples. And you might say, well, why would we think that? And, and a lot of that's based on our experience with ovarian cancer detection, um, but also we've done some studies in bacterial infection detection. Our colleagues in the UK have, have done malaria detection. Um, I think that there's a lot of reason to believe that these samples actually provide an odor that can be associated with the disease. Can you tell us a little more about that? Because we don't think of viruses as having a smell. So what is it that they're smelling? So I think we as humans don't think of a lot of things as having yeah. smells. <laughs> and I think dogs have a whole different perspective. Uh, so uh, we do actually know that viruses do have an odor. And that's been shown um, through some of the chemistry, at least with influenza. We don't know yet about COVID-19, but influenza does have a discrete chemical um, signature of volatile organic compounds or, or smells. Um, we know that um, our colleagues at Auburn University have uh, actually tested dogs on a, a virus that affects cattle, um, and the, the dogs have been able to identify that in culture and then also identify some infected cattle. So we definitely know that there's an odor, but what we don't know is if the odor we're going to pick up in these samples is strictly from the virus from the human's response to the virus or a combination of virus and that person's response. That sounds, I mean, it sounds promising. It also sounds incredibly complicated to differentiate between different viruses. So I, that's a 
brilliant question. And that is really going to be part of what we're going to have to do in the long term. So in the short term, it's yes, no. In the long term, the more samples we screen and the more COVID negative patients that might have other diseases, um, other viruses, that's really going to help us refine this and tell us how specific and how sensitive um, we can be with the dogs. So how many dogs are in this study right now and what kind of dogs are they? So we're aiming for eight dogs in the study. We're, we actually have 10 dogs in training because we know this is uh, this is hard. Um, and not every dog is going to be successful once we get to that really difficult task of discriminating the odor from a COVID, COVID positive from a COVID negative. Um, and in our study, we've got um, all Labradors at this point. I'm wondering, you just mentioned the virus in cattle, and I know you're still in the process of figuring out if they can pick out this virus. But if they can, would an application, would they be able to actually sniff out people who might be infected, let's say, coming in and out of a building? So that is kind of our one of our end goals, um, but we have a number of steps to get there. As, as you pointed out, there's, there's a lot of complicated aspects of this. And the first step is that we're teaching the dogs to smell the odor in a very um, discrete environment without a lot of distractions. The next step is, can the dog pick out this odor if a person is, is literally holding a sample? Um, because this odor might just get lost in the background of human smell. Um, so we need to confirm that the dogs can do that. If that actually works, then yes, that is definitely something um, that we're looking at is, can we, in a safe and scientific and accurate way, um, use these dogs to help us screen people, particularly the asymptomatic carriers? Yeah, that, that would be brilliant, wouldn't it, to be able to pick out the asymptomatic people? Oh, that would be huge. That would just that would be a game changer. You have many steps here to go yet. You said you got to introduce the samples and then introduce them to humans as well. How so where does how does this process play out? What is your timeline? So we figure that probably within three to four weeks, we're going to have the answer of yes or no. Can the dogs detect an odor? Um, And I'm pretty confident that they're going to be able to detect something. It's going to take us uh, probably another two to three months or so um, to confirm that we can do this on people. And then the whole, you know, how do we execute it? There's a lot of challenges with sort of having this become an available test. One is that we have to make sure we have a safe and scientific way to train dogs. But we also have to figure out where these dogs are going to be coming from because we know there's a shortage of dogs uh, in this country for things like explosive detection. So trying to make sure that we have dogs that are going to be available to screen at the locations that we feel are, you know, the most critical. But when you think about it, it's like, wow, wouldn't it be great if everybody had a dog to screen so we could just feel safe um, when we're going into any kind of, uh, you know, building or environment. Um, But that's, that's really challenging because, as I said, this is not a task that just any dog can do. It really does take a dog that's got a kind of a special focus and attention. And and also in the public environment, they have to really be able to ignore all of the thousands of distractions um, and and really focus on their job. Um, So I think it's going to be challenging, but I think it's really got a huge potential for opportunity, not only for COVID-19, but if this works, then, you know, whatever the next thing that comes down the pike, whatever our next pandemic or emerging infectious disease, this might be a really great strategy to 
start to look at, at new ways to to detect it, um, and whether that then translates to the chemistry and the electronic sensors or a combination of using dogs and all of the other technology. So if this works and the dogs are able to differentiate and pick out, you know, COVID-19 patients, how long, like how quickly would it take you to train dogs to do this? Yeah, that's a great question. And when we look at, you know, the dogs that are being trained for explosive detection, dogs that are being trained for law enforcement for, you know, just even bomb detection, we know that it takes several months um, to train dogs. And those are dogs that have already been pre-selected to have the, the potential ability to do this kind of work. So, you know, it will probably take several months to train dogs to this level. Um, and in that process, hopefully we're going to be refining the training approach that will allow other people um, and other organizations that are already training dogs for different things to kind of adopt, you know, these strategies and, and hopefully train the dogs. But again, we want to make sure that we're doing it in, in a safe way, um, a way that's safe for the people that are handling the training samples um, and also safe for the if if we're deploying these people into this operational setting where we have a dog and a handler screening people, we need to make sure that the dog is safe and the people are safe and that we're really, you know, maximizing the the scientific approach. That was my next question, actually. And that is, how are you guys staying safe? Because you're going to be handling samples and maybe even eventually being around people who have it. So the, the good part about how we're beginning this process is all of our samples, we're able to capture the odor, but inactivate the virus. So none of our samples are going to be potentially infectious. So that's great. Those samples are then also in a container that's specially developed by our our colleagues at the Army Chem Bio Center, where it allows odor to be released. But even if we have that, the sample in that container, that the dog can't make contact with that. And then in that wheel that you saw, the, the container that has the sample is then in, a, in another cage. So there's just there's no way that the dogs are going to have access to it. So we've got three levels of, of safety on the training and the testing side. So the, the bigger question obviously becomes when we start to look at what happens if we're actually going to be screening people that may have COVID-19. A couple of strategies there. One, the the handler would be in full PPE, just like any medical personnel that is screening patients. But the advantage that we have with the dogs is that the people don't have to take off their masks to get a swab. They're actually going to be less likely to spread any kind of virus through speaking, coughing, sneezing, or whatever, because they'll, they'll still have their masks on. Um, but we're also monitoring the dogs. We'll be monitoring the dogs for virus. We'll be monitoring the dogs for the development of antibody. And we're going to be working with our colleagues um, in the military, looking at the decon process, so how to decontaminate any potential exposure. So we're going to try and either use their validated techniques or else if they're not validated by the time we're at this stage, we'll help gather that data to make sure everybody's safe. So we're going to be taking absolutely every precaution for the dogs and the people. I think what we know is that the the people are probably at a higher risk given that there have been so few dogs that have really had any kind of positive test, despite the fact that dogs live with us and are, you know, with us all the time and are even exposed when we're out at the park. You know, they're, they're exposed to people who might have, you know, be COVID positive. But again, luckily, the dogs do have um, a really limited capacity to, to contract this virus. 
Yeah, that that's what I was wondering, because we have heard of a number of just a handful of pets getting it. So it leaves open the question, you know, like you just said, can they actually get it? And I'm assuming, I guess you're, you, that's just kind of time will tell thing. Uh, and I think that's why we're monitoring the dogs. I think, you know, given the limited number of cases that have shown up positive and the number of people and people that have pets, and that those those dogs, you know, some I think cats are a bigger concern. But as far as the dogs, I think that it, it is a it's a low risk. But we're not we're certainly taking it very seriously, and you know we will be monitoring these and doing everything that we can to to maximize the safety. And, and I guess one other component is that the dogs will be at a you know as far a distance away from the people as we can scientifically validate. So they're not going to be climbing in the, the people's laps like. You know, they're not going to be in the people's beds like, you know, your, your pet dog might be if you were sick. They would, you know, un- invariably, at least my dog would be like right, you know, you know, in my lap, in my face. And so really high uh, potential exposure, whereas if we're sniffing from a distance and the people have masks on, um, you know, we're doing everything that we can to minimize that, but certainly not ignoring the potential. It is funny when you when you when you just talked about that, I've had pets and they know when you're sick, they pick up on that. Oh, very much so. Very much so. And I always thought it was a vibe, but maybe it's not. Maybe maybe all along, you know, not knowing, it's, it's been sent. That's a great point. And, you know, certainly some people have reached out to me and told me about their dogs acting differently um, when they were sick, um, whether it was with cancer or with, you know, COVID-19. And so I think that dogs see the world through odor and our odors change when we have diseases or illness. And so they're like, ha, ah, something's different. I need to check this out. And so they're in your face. Yes, they are. <laughs> but we love them. Yes, we absolutely. Love them. And it makes you feel so loved as well, especially because nobody else wants to be near you because you're sick. And here's your dog, you know, just yeah. hanging out with you. Yeah, my kids accuse me of loving the animals more than them. <laughs> Well, you know, <laughs> no, like they don't talk there, back. <laughs> there, there is there is something about gratitude, and I think dogs have you know immense gratitude all the time. <laughs> so, one thing, Doctor Otto, that I didn't realize um, when I was reading, you know, the PenVet website um, and an article on this from PenVet is that you have a research innovation fund, and that you've been doing a number of, I guess. A clinical research involved in this, which forgive me, but I didn't, I've always associated a pen medicine with, of course, doing coronavirus research. I didn't really associate pen vet with doing more than just the dog scent study. Do you have any? Oh, yeah. 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 Pen vet's amazing. And, and, you know, as a veterinary school, we are very research driven. Um, and we're really, we like to embrace what we call one health. And so that one health is how the, the animals intersect with human and environmental health. And so much of our research is, is addressed to things like that. And, and coronavirus, because this is a disease that came from animals, it, it absolutely makes sense um, that it would be studied in a veterinary environment um, where we're looking at that intersection. Um, and many of our researchers on campus have, you know, exactly what it takes to pivot a little bit to, you know, adapt to this new, this new disease. And so, you know, the vet school is, is really veterinary medicine in general is, is not recognized so much for its 
breadth of research and research contributions to animal health, human health, and environmental health. And I think this is a great opportunity to highlight that. Dr. Otto, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure to speak with you. All right. Take care and stay well. Okay. You too. Thank Thank you so much. Okay. Mm Bye-bye. Bye. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic, or if you just want to know more than what you're hearing on the news right now, if you want to go a little deeper, if you want to know how this could change your life or your routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Carol McKenzie, and we'll have another episode out soon. 